This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. The angel sang, the clouds parted, you know, the sunlight came down. And it was quite the glorious moment. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 70 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra, and I am in Toronto, Ontario. And I'm also joined once again by my co-host in Whitby, Ontario, Aaron Bay. Hello there. And we also have special guest host, Greg Keo in Toronto, Ontario. Hey, everybody. All right. Jaime is uh, busy at the Apple Tech Talk, and Mark is just plain busy. Is he busy? Saving the galaxy. Somebody's got to do it. It's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, just, I, I had a really good Star Wars role going there, but I was going to do it, and but now I had one for Mark and, and Jaime, but now they're not here, so I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed that Chewie and... Uh, <laughs> you know, like rename them. I think I think Mark should be Chewy. You? Do you think he should be Chewy? Mark Chewy? Uh, yeah. No, I think he should be the grump, the curmudgeon. He should be Han Solo. Oh, okay. Or Lando Calrissian, at least. You know. Mm. Or or Lobot? Is that Lobot? What? Yeah. <laughs> Do we, are we watching the same? Oh my. Okay, I'm hearing you. I can hear you. Da, da, just da, 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 da. Okay, you can hear me, right? Da, 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 da. Yes, I can. Da, da. Right. Let's. Uh, da, da, da. Yeah, stop it! You're da. making me feel bad. <laughs> Why? I don't know. People are saying that the movie opened tonight. Oh, shh, shh, shh. I saw George Stromalopoulos tweet a little while ago. Stromalopoulos. He was there, of course, because he's George Stromalopoulos. Stromalopoulos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, many letters, George, many letters, and um, if you're about to I, say I, anything about that movie, no, okay. no, I do believe. No, I was just going to say, I, I believe that I thought the I thought the premiere was yesterday uh, at uh, Grumman's Chinese Theater. Apparently, they've shut down all of mm-hmm. uh, Los Angeles on that street, so you can't see anything. You can't take shots from the sky or whatever. It's all, all being managed by Disney. So good, good, good. Let them continue to manage. But it. no, actually, and Graham Devine, who Graham Devine, who is a, a Mac developer who I respect a lot, and who um, 
he wrote the seventh guest for instance he just tweeted that uh, red five going in uh-huh. and with a picture which you pit with a picture of a curtain yeah so and i'm going tomorrow so How, okay so it, it it opens at least tomorrow thursday officially it officially opens on friday the december the 18th but um we got our tickets like when they first went, were announced we got like f- five or s- four or five of them five of them i guess and um yeah, we're all going tomorrow at Square One, and but but I had also seen commercials saying that they were releasing new seats on the seventeenth, and they've been saying that for a while. So, mm-hmm. have you got tickets yet? I got my tickets for Friday morning at eleven thirty. Okay, yeah, we're going at seven p.m. because we have a a twelve year old with us. But we're I'm all twelve years old. I'm taking a twelve year old with me. Are you? Okay, I am. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, we're, and we're pulling her from school. Well, it's as you should. As I should. This is as you should. Seriously, richly appropriate. Mm-hmm. Boy, it's going to be nuts. Um, well, yeah, it's just going to be nuts. Uh, it's going to be nuts for a while. So, yeah. I mean, I went to. I don't know. Did you go to the first night of any of the other premieres? Or uh, no, no, certainly not of the original three. No, uh, I, don't, I don't mean. I don't mean the original. Original. I mean. I mean of the of the the prequels, as it were. No, no, no. I don't think I did. I, hmm. It was a long time. So, so I was going to ask this question, and I'll ask Greg too the same question. Um, I may have. Uh, so, when when did you first see Star Wars? How old were you, and what was your fondest memory of that event? Is that what we're talking about? Star Wars? Is there a movie coming sure. out or something? I don't even know what you're yeah, talking about. Apparently, Greg. <laughs> when did I first see Star Wars? You, know, you, actually, you actually, you're such yeah, a card. He had me fooled with my tweet with the about the MTJC logo that I uploaded today, but. Yeah. Uh, I don't know when I first saw it. I must have seen it. I saw it on tape, I'm sure. Maybe at like my cousin's house or something like that. I don't oh, know how wow. old I was. Ten? What in in the like in the made for your TV screen version? I hate that version. So you weren't really yeah. sentient when Star Wars was in theaters. Um, Maybe the the first movie was like seventy seven, wasn't it? Seventy seven. Yes. yes. And then the next yep. one. So I was at least alive for like the next one or the last one. Right? Yeah. The yeah. last the last one was eighty two or something? Eighty three. Eighty three. 83 yeah, was yeah i would have been four but i think i saw et that was my first movie when i was four or something oh like that. cool yeah okay. good movie yeah a classic um mm. yeah well when i i saw it in the theater and my dad took me and uh oh, yeah it, it might have been the first movie that i ever saw um, and how old were you I remember and this we're talking about the first star wars back yeah. when it was just star wars not a new hope that's correct mm-hmm um, I was four, and uh, I remember it. I still remember scenes from it, seeing it in the was theater. That, was that in Hamilton, or was that yeah. in, in... Yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, what I was theater was that? Born and raised in Hamilton, and it would have been the Tivoli. Um, okay. Which is on, or was on, James Street North. In yeah, I'm trying to think, though, because I saw, I saw the second one. I think I was in Hamilton for the second one. I was with my first wife then, and she was not impressed. <laughs> <sighs> you know, you either get it or you don't, you know? Yeah, so just yeah. well, that marriage didn't last. Yeah, I went on. I went on the second night it came out. I mean, I I saw in I was like seven or uh, seventeen, and I saw and I had a girlfriend at the time, and and I saw you know the tribute magazine. I don't know if it was tribute back then, but all I saw was the picture of you know the where the Millennium Falcon has landed on the Death Star, and you see the the just the curve of the ship the where the pilots sit, and you see all the all the stormtroopers lined up on the on the black you know enameled. Yeah, all I saw was that. I was totally into sci-fi at that time, and it didn't matter what it was about. I was going to go see it, right? Yeah. And I had I, didn't, I hadn't heard the buzz or anything like that. And then I went at the Varsity Theater downtown and um, in Toronto, what used to be this Manulife Center, and uh, we it was the first time I ever stood in line for a movie. I was like, "What is going on here?" They actually made us line up in the office hallways because hmm. they had nowhere to put us, right? Right. 
um yeah i was just totally blown away by that and then and then yeah it was amazing and then and you, you've seen the 70s show you know that the tv show the 70s show that's a scene that, yeah that's 70s show i guess that's what it's called there's um there's a an episode where eric who's a huge star wars fan he would have been about the same age as me at the time um he saw it and then spends the weekend trying to convince his friends that they should go see the movie and i literally did that i saw it on thursday night or friday night and movies used to open on thursday nights back then so I and and I saw it at the varsity and I spent like all day Saturday like pestering my friends you got to see this movie you got to see this movie so we all jumped on the subway and went down and saw it at the university theater downtown and um yeah and 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 so the first opening dialogue between C3PO and R2D2 I'm thinking oh my god the dialogue in this movie is so lame my friends are going to think I'm nuts right <laughs> You know, the part where they oh, you go on, you go on, and yeah, yeah. you'll be lost in a moment, you know, whatever the hell the line was, I forget. But Yeah, but they were they were all blown away by it, too, so it's fun stuff, fun times. And then, um, you know, I, I didn't see the Return of the Jedi uh, because of the whole relationship thing in the theater, um, but my new relationship is with my current wife, current wife and her two sons, and the youngest son was about your age, and apparently Star Wars was the first movie he sat still for. <laughs> like he was he was all bouncing off the walls constantly as a kid right and that so he's like he's got a collection of i don't know he's got tons of original issue star wars stuff every year i give him a new star wars figure of some type right so yeah, you know yeah, it's, it's a huge, huge cultural touchstone star wars is yeah for sure for it. sure um yeah, it seems to be deeply ingrained in our civilization, such as it is. I think 2,000, 3,000 years from now, archaeologists will be digging up Star Wars gear and, uh, you know, <laughs> well, as, wonder as a, if they as can a, find a as a parent who used, <laughs> As a parent used to, who, who used to mow the lawn after the dog had stolen the children's toys and eaten them, I used to uncover Star Wars figures in the, in the front lawn when I was mowing the lawn. Oh, yeah, those are the days. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. anyway, suffice to say... You went, you're going to see the movie first, Tim, of us, and yeah. um, you better just keep your 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 damn mouth I know. shut. No, I will. I mean, like <laughs> I, I started reading. A, thing. I started reading reading a review in the Star today because because the, the the critics saw it yesterday apparently. Right. Yes. Um, and they all talk about you know what their opinions are. I'm not going to say anything more because I literally had to stop reading because they started telling the plot of parts of the movie. I'm like, oh, what are no. you doing? Yeah. Why? You know, like you should. The headline should be major spoilers here, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I was over at my mother-in-law's and she reads the Star, and uh, she yeah. said, "Oh, have you heard the reviews about Star Wars?" And I'm like, "La la 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 la." la, la, la. She said, "Well, you know, they were saying actually it's very." And I'm like, la, "No, no, la, no, la, no, la. no, no, no! Don't tell me anything. I don't want to know yeah. a thing." So, well, see, yeah. for, yeah. see for you, and you, I know you and I argue about the Phantom Menace all the time, and and Let's argue it's a terrible, terrible movie. So, well, I mean, so you got to remember, I was 17 years old when I saw the first movie, and then having to wait another 17 years to see another movie, mm-hmm. I stood in line. I went yep. with my with with my now stepson or my son now. He's a, he's my wife came and he and his his girlfriend. I can't remember who it was at the time, but the four of us stood in line for the midnight showing at the Varsity Theater in the same freaking theater that I saw the first movie. That's beautiful, Tim. Right. Yeah, it's and, like and a great it circle was, of life. No, I know, and it it was interesting because when we got in there, like it was on the we were in the audience with the people who had to see that movie the minute it came out. Right. right, and it was it was akin to like a like I mean I've, I'm not a big fan of Rocky Horror Picture Show when people go crazy, but it was like everybody in the room was like that. Like people applauded when the Lucasfilm logo came up on the screen. Yeah, that, like it was, that drives me insane. <laughs> I hate that. What? What the people? <laughs> Shut up people, and let uh, me watch this. Yeah, I don't. This is not a communal event. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think I'm hoping. 
I'm hoping that's going to be an experience too. And so, I, and I've only I've only seen the uh, you know the, the original trailer. I've only seen it once in 3D in proper 3D. And I went to I forgot what movie I was at. But have you seen the, the trailer in 3D? I, I hate like 3D, it, so I no have not seen it in 3D. Oh, I'm really? not going oh, to see man. Star Wars in 3D. I'm not going to see it in oh, 3D IMAX. Man. I'm going oh, to see man. it in 2D, the way it wow. was meant to be. Wow. Yep. You're not going to get the J.J. Abrams lens flare effects happening, Perfect. you know? Because I hate that crap. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I can, I can tell you, the, 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 scene where, the scene where, you know, they, they sort of pan over top of the melted Darth Vader helmet that you see oh. in, the, in the trailer, right? Oh. That is amazing in 3D. No, amazing. No. no, it's a gimmick. Okay, fans, fans of the show... Write your name, your letters, send them in. Tell us, am I right? 3D. I mean, 3D is like you're right. 3D can be tiring, especially in kid movies, right? But there have been some really good 3D movies out there. I have. Um, I, I guess we consider Avatar the the prime yeah, the pinnacle. example. Yeah, yeah. And it's, the, it's the Matrix of 3D for sure. I could take it or leave it in an Avatar. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the movie is okay, but I, I don't. No, no, no. It I, I enjoyed the movie Avatar. I'm fine with that yeah. movie. I'll watch yeah. it again someday. Yeah, but yeah. I could take or leave the 3D in it. Really? I could take. I've it never or... seen. I've never watched it other than I saw it the one time in the theater. But I, I, I've never watched it on DVD because I just don't want to be disappointed by that. Because I, because the scene where you know he's trying to light the fire, the, the, the night scene comes down and he's lighting the fire to see where he's going, and she keeps trying to put the fire out, right? And as soon as she puts the fire out, he realizes all the phosphorescence in the uh, in yep. the, the forest that he's in, and it's just amazing when that scene lights up. It's just it's un, it's an unbelievable moment. It's like the I equate that to the reason why I bought DVDs when the Matrix was because the Matrix came out, and I I had to see that movie in that sort of form. And then I bought a subwoofer for my house because the part where Neo becomes the one at the very end of the movie, and he kind of just does he just kind of tenses up, and the whole screen kind of ripples. Right, I saw that at the at the university theater, and the whole building shook at that point. Right, yeah. so and if so, if you, it's just like you know, you can't watch a, 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 a IMAX movie of a space shuttle taking off without a subwoofer. Same thing with the Matrix. Um, so there's sort of certain points, like you said, touchstones in movies or milestones in movies where they just blow your doors off you. Right, so. I remember my dad was was put on the TV and we sat us down in front of the TV. We watched whatever he wanted to watch, right? And he decided he his friends at work had told him about this this thing called Star Trek. And so here I was, like six or seven years old, watching this giant ice cream cone eat planets in space, and I was just blown away. He always thought that was a hero, huh? Or a donair, maybe. <laughs> donair. <laughs> You're talking about. I'm talking about the Doomsday Machine. You're talking yes, about the episode yes. I'm talking about. Yeah. Doesn't it kind of uh, look like a donair to you? Yeah, I, when I was a kid, it was just like it was like this giant ice cream cone that was eating planets, and you know it, it was hilarious, right? So, notwithstanding the fact that you know Spock, you know, did the suicide thing and the whole bit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was, it was a, that that I remember watching. It's like what when I my, I didn't watch the first Beatles on Ed Sullivan, but I did get to see the Beatles on Ed Sullivan when I was a kid too. And that was kind of another thing. My dad was my dad was always like whatever his friends at work were telling him to watch, he did, right? So, <laughs> typical immigrant father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So more than just the code, eh? Yeah, way yeah. more tonight. Yeah. So, is, so Tim reminiscing about the seventies and sixties. <laughs> night. So, um, we're we're done talking about Force Awakens, right? Oh, seriously? Give your oh, head come a shake, on. please. That's all <laughs> okay, getting go cut ahead. out. I think it's all. I know cut that out. this is more than just code, but not that well, much. B- by Saturday, whatever. Okay. So here's some some real time follow up. Literally, I was actually watching my Twitter, which you know you're trying not to look at now. 
So I put a link on the show notes for you, Aaron. But um, The Verge just posted a link about the USB-C adapter that Apple should have made. Did you see that? I have already read it. And? Well, I mean, it'd be nice to see an Apple logo on this thing, but uh, this mm-hmm. isn't the one that I want. No, nope. I don't want is this. Is that one. a VGA no. port on that thing? <laughs> yes, it is. Or is that okay? Ding, ding, ding. Good eye. Oh ding, my ding. goodness! That's right. <laughs> and you can get apparently you can get a version with a DVI uh, port on it. Instead. I thought it might mm-hmm. be DVI. It looked a little too narrow to be DVI, Sorry, but you know, not DVI. HDMI. My bad. Uh, okay. HDMI. Okay. Not, not V. Anywho, um, yeah. Come on. This looks. Um, I think that's a pass through there, isn't there? That's a USB C pass through on there as well. Yes, yes, there is. Okay. So that, that, that's the one thing that sets this one apart from everything else that's out there right now is that it can actually charge your MacBook while it's being used. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this is a true hub that you would plug your stuff into uh, with one cable, which is nice, right? I mean, you put your yeah. computer down on the table, you plug it into this thing. It's, a, it's called the Minix Neo C. Mm-hmm. Um, and the point is that you plug it in and you get US, two USBs, a couple of SD card slots, uh, and uh, your choice of display, either HDMI. Sorry, I said it again. No, no, I'm right. It's HDMI. Gosh, maybe I'm tired tonight. Or VGA. And uh, you know, if you're if you're busting it old school and you want to screw in a legacy port with those thumbs, mm-hmm. you know, instruments of torture, etc. But this is not something that you carry around with you. Um, uh. This this hub is is like a, a desk bound thing, and it looks nice and all. But um, it's not it's not the Hub Plus, the um, right. the one that was on Kickstarter, right. and there's actually even a link to it. They mention it in this article, but um, there's no um, it's not like that. It's not as nice. So what is the status with the one the other one the um... the Hub Plus? Yeah, yeah. The status is uh, demonstrably unknown. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. um, so here, actually, the last update was October 13th, and yeah. in that update, they said that there's going to be a big delay, mm-hmm. if not, um, let, let's just see, they're, they're giving out refunds. Really? Wow. Uh, this was from October, so this is old news, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had 8,000-plus orders. Um, yeah, and they're mm. just, yeah, they're, they're actually, they refunded everyone. Wow, really? And they say... Uh, unless you want to say no. If you want them to keep your money, then yeah. they will continue to try developing this thing. Yeah, yeah. But they must have hit some kind of show-stopping bug, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a few chipsets work, but via our various testing, we are finding that they didn't work 100% reliably. And that's basically, I guess, what their excuse is. That's the funny thing about Kickstarter projects. I, I've backed a couple of them, and um, I think the only one that actually came through for me was... Uh, well, what's that one you put your to find your keys? Um, tile. Yeah. So I have I have tile, and I've, I've they've actually just reissued new ones because apparently they, the batteries only last for a year. But um, yeah, I, I, I backed the thing to unlock my door with my phone and that kind of stuff, and and that's been I almost forgot that I invested in that. It's been so long. So I guess that's the trouble with Kickstarter projects. People have a great idea, and then you never know what they run into in terms of manufacturing or sourcing parts or what have you. Right. So. Right. It is too bad. So um, I would say that this looks nice. Um, I could see Apple making something like this. Well, not a VGA version, <laughs> but yeah. um, but uh, it, I don't know that I'm, I'm, I might have been more likely to buy it if it were if it were by Apple because you yeah. got that quality assurance. But um, sure, yeah. 
this is still not quite what I'm after. It's it's in a way it's it's just more than I want. Hmm. You know, I, I would like something smaller, more compact that still offers that. You know, like and everybody's fixated on putting SD card slots in it. Like that doesn't yeah. matter to me at all. I I would never have a use for that. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, a couple of extra USB ports and uh, a pass through, and uh, you've made me happy. I'm done. So. Uh, but the USB-C though, is it used in other computers, you know, like, is it, or is it only an Apple thing? Oh no, right no, now? it's, yeah, it's definitely a cross it's a standard, standard sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Then I wonder why, wonder why it's taking so long for other companies to come up with something that, that would do this. Like, cause well, the other computers that have it have more than one port. Oh, uh, right. Well, okay. I mean, there's but it's the also fair to say that has two, I think it only has two USB-Cs, I think. So, I mean, that doesn't like help it, that but, much, but yeah. It's also fair to say that there, um, the there are far more MacBooks sold than any other computer that has a USB-C yeah. port today. Hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Like it's you know like the, the Windows PC market, right? Like they're not huge into adopting new standards, so <laughs> you're not going to see a lot of USB-C ports. Um, suffice to say, I don't know if that's necessarily true because you know thinking back over the over the years of different technologies have been. And toyed it out there. I mean, like Apple tends to have their own have their own road, but uh, and they've been playing more along the lines of uh, you know introducing the USB and the iMac and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Windows had USB long before Apple had, so I don't know that uh, I don't know if that necessarily holds water that theory. Anyway, but I'm sure we'll hear from Mark or Jaime about it later. Jaime posted a link today on the show notes to uh, the Promise Kit, which I know a little bit about, but I'd like to hear what Greg has to say about it can't believe i assigned homework just supposed to be a nice guest here Uh, (laughs) i only looked into promise kit uh, i think i also looked at it i can't remember a few months back Uh and i had another quick look at it before we're recording here and i guess the benefit of promise kit is that it is i was gonna say cross-platform it's not quite the right word quite the right Mm -hmm. word but it works with objective c and with swift it looks like it's implemented in kind of a half and half way but it Mm -hmm. will work with both so if you were still working with objective c then you have to use PromiseKit, whereas the other library that I linked to, Bright Features, is all Swift. Oh, so I thought PromiseKit had Swift compatibility, or did I Oh, it does, that? it does. So PromiseKit okay. supports Swift and Objective-C, because okay, okay. you can always bridge in that direction. But the mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Bright Features library is Swift only, I believe, because it's written in Swift. And I guess oh, I it might bridge over, but it is very Swifty in its implementation. So I shouldn't say that for sure. I don't know for sure it doesn't support Objective-C, but I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't. I would guess that right. it doesn't. So from the layman layman uh, TLDR point of view, um, I, what I got out of it, something about um, asynchronous versus synchronous programming, like I guess that's just how applications are built. Is that what they're talking about? Or Well, there's so much asynchronous stuff in the world that you have yeah. to handle. Like network requests is always the, it's always the example everyone uses, right? You ask for yeah. some network request, when's it going to come? You don't know. So you have to... I don't know, set up a callback or I don't know if you're barbaric, you do a notification or something like that. Who knows? But mm-hmm. this, but then your code kind of gets distributed, right? It's like, mm-hmm. okay, the thing that makes the call is over here. The thing that receives the call is over here. And if there's an error, it's going to be handled down over here. If you do like target action, even it's like spread out across, across multiple methods or something like that. But right. um, so what these libraries are trying to do is kind of keep the logic together and say uh, sort of on the first level, just to say, let's put them all together. Here's my network request. I'm going to have a success block, and I'm going to have like an error block, like a failure block or something like that. So the code will all be together. That's the first part. But the second part of it is, if I make an asynchronous call for an image, then maybe the image isn't there yet, but I need to send this off to somebody else. And I don't want to wait for the image to come and then send it off. I just want to send it off to them, let them worry about it, because I'm going to 
you know, deallocate myself or something like that. So mm-hmm. that's what the idea of the promises or futures, depending on who you ask, it's maybe slightly oh, different, see. but that's the idea. I'm just going to send you a promise to a UI image or whatever, and you can handle it and you can wait for it. And then when it's ready for you, then uh, you can handle it. So that's the idea. Not just um, having success blocks and failure blocks, but passing around these future objects, right? So that's kind of the second level of, uh, second level of enlightenment with asynchronous programming. Um, so that's what these things do. Again, some people call them promises. Some people call them futures. Some people say those are different things. I don't, uh, let's not get into that, but that's the idea <laughs> of these two. Like so, a, it's like a nomenclature difference maybe because I'm having a hard time coming to grips with what I'm looking at here. Like I'm on mm-hmm. Promise Kit's page and they've got this example of a network request for fetching an image and, you know, controlling the network activity indicator. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm not, seeing, I'm not seeing how this is different or better in some way than completion blocks you know, in, in NSURL session, for example, like, how is this different than that? Yeah. Well, this example here has that always, and it has the error. So if you're familiar yeah. with like try catch finally, and like the C++ yeah. or the, I don't know if it's Java, that kind of model where, or like defer blocks that we have now in Swift. So it's like, here's the thing you do and always clean up, but if there's an error, then do this. So it's a little bit cleaner. Whereas if you have a completion block that has an error parameter, that's an optional in Swift parlance or nil, a nil double point and it's error pointer. In Objective-C, you have to check, you know, your completion block has logic inside it to say, was it an error? Did it complete? Yes or no? And you got all this crap in your completion handler. This just breaks mm-hmm. it up into three different code blocks. So it's kind of a nice, it looks a little bit nicer, I guess. Separates out the concerns. This is what happens when it's good. This is what happens when it's bad. And this is the always stuff to run at the end. You know what I mean? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so it's just a little, you could think of it as a little syntactic sugar because, you know, behind the scenes, it's just a network request like any other. Uh, it just splits up the code a little bit nicer. But again, I think the cool thing about futures, I think this part is usually called futures, is again, those are, futures are themselves objects. They're almost like wrappers, like optionals. And they might be doing stuff in the background and you can pass them around, I think is the real benefit. Um, so you can create a future for something, give it to somebody else, and then that's it. That person, that person, that class or whatever, that piece of code will then handle it on, the, on its own. So that part of it's kind of And I'm nice. seeing here the um, example has, it appears a, a tuple of functions in the when block here. Is, is that a, a feature of this as well? I think so. I was looking at that too, trying to see what that was. I think it's probably just a very, it's like a variadic argument. You can just... Like, it's going to mm. do the first thing, and it's going to do the second thing. If you passed in 10 things, it would do all 10 of them, presumably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That I don't right. know, though. But that's what I, that's what I assume, too. Yeah, I think they look, they look like functional parameters to me. Or fu- parameters, functions as parameters. Uh, yes, hmm. yeah. Like, I think you just pass it. Like, I don't know how the typing works. Is it just accepting any object and, you know, functions count, function pointers count? Is it? Anyway, I don't know. I don't know, but that's what I was guessing. It'll just perform all of those. Right, right. See, I guess hmm. the funny thing is, is that, you know, I've looked at, or I haven't actually looked at promises at all as a um, as a design pattern. Is that what it is? Is it a, a design pattern sort of? Uh, uh, yeah, think of it like that. Okay, but um, you know, I've heard of people talking about it like you have to have this sort of thing. It's asynchronous programming. You're doing asynchronous programming. You need a promise framework of some kind. Um, yeah, it really just cleans up your code. I think. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I guess it does in a sense. Mm-hmm. In a sense, it doesn't it? Doesn't I mean, it makes it, it a slam dunk. It wraps it up nicely because you're like, I don't want to think about, you know, like a success block and a failure block and all of this kind of thing and whatever, all these blocks. In the end, all you care about is I'm getting an image or I'm getting some NS data back from the server. That's really the important part. So if you create 
that layer around it to kind of abstract away some of the complexity. And you're just like, this is a future NS data object. Someday this will blossom and cocoon and then it'll be released, you know, to become a full-fledged NS data object someday in the future. And that's all I have yeah. to think about. You don't have to worry about the, you know, when is it going to happen? Is it going to be on the correct thread and all of that kind of thing? So that's the kind of nice thing about it that I think. As I was looking at the code a little bit more, I, should, I also had my notes that Bright Futures wraps the result library from uh, Rob Ricks. And so it uses that, that behind guy. the scenes. So if, you've used, yeah. if you've used that before, results and the result type, it just basically wraps your result in a possible error. Then Bright Futures also uses that. So if you're already familiar with results, then this is just kind of an additional ration called a wrapper, but it uses results. And that's it. Hmm. There's my homework report. <laughs> Thanks. Homework report? Yep. Ah. We'll have to wait what, uh, what Professor Lopez has to say about that when he gets back. No, I'm nervous. I, uh, if- yeah. If Mark were in the room, I think he'd say, is it thread safe? <laughs> <laughs> well, what is, you would say, right? It is what as isn't? thread safe as you what want it to be. Because, uh, yeah, you uh-huh. do still have to look after that kind of thing. Yeah, you're right. I misread this at the top line. It says uh, uh, time for some programming asynchronously as well. I inserted a little FU before I knew it was coming on the show. I, right after I listened to last week's episode um, of this very fine program, Mm-hmm. Uh, when you guys were talking about salaries and that kind of thing. And I saw yes. this article in the Globe and Mail, which is sort of the Canada's national newspaper, I think they call themselves. But they were talking mm-hmm. about uh, hiring and how Canadian startups are trying to compete with people hiring away, you know, to Silicon Valley and the brain mm-hmm. drain, blah, blah, blah. And there was a little line that said, the average mobile application developer in Canada makes a salary between 93 and one hundred thirty-two thousand dollars, according to right, right. some technology salary guide. Oh, uh, uh, Robert half, wait, half somewhere like that, yeah, yeah. So there we go. A little bit, uh, another salary guide, some kind of survey, and there's the average that they give: ninety-three to one thirty-two. So certainly higher quite than quite a bit above the fifty-nine thousand that uh, you were quoted, Aaron. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting too that the, the I've heard people talk about setting up in Waterloo because apparently. Uh, according to this article, uh, uh, salaries in Waterloo can be a little bit lower than they are in Toronto. And it's interesting that they, they concurred with what we were saying last uh, two weeks ago about um, um, salaries in San Francisco and in New York, which are considerably higher than they are here, right? So obviously because of the cost of living and things like that. Yeah. But um, it was Robert Half. Robert Half Technology Salary Guide. And uh, they, yeah. they are a large recruiting firm, at least in Canada. Um, yeah, they are. Yep. So uh, I've run into them many times in the course of my career. Uh, but this is just typical stuff, right? I mean, the, the, the people with the money do not want to give you the money. Anybody with money does not want you to have money. And if they must give you money, they would like to give you as little as humanly possible. Well, and, they're, and they're now they're apparently they're finding, I guess, uh, like, like nurses were 10 years ago, where they would all run off to the States where they could get paid decent money. I suppose that's what uh, younger developers are able to, you know, pick up and move to the states or move to wherever wherever the money is right so yeah yeah exactly um Mm -hmm. and it it happens all the time obviously and not just in our industry and uh, yeah you know um but this is still a decent wage i think (laughs) yeah if you can get it yeah i mean it's i'm comfortable with with that sort of range as well right i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily i mean i'd love to get the high end but i don't think it's going to happen right so realistically but I mean, this is for you know a salaried position working sure. full time for some company, right? Well, Which we're and, and, demonstrably yeah. not doing, right? Well, and, but the, but 
but the guy they're talking about at the top of the article, Matthew Bayes Demore, uh, he apparently works for um, he basically works on contract jobs, and he basically makes four times that salary yeah. because he's able to, to spread himself out and take on different work and get charge a higher buck, right? So, well, he yeah, he works for this recruiter in New York City. I've I've read about them before. This Ten X, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and they hire. I, I think the term is insulting, but um, mm-hmm. hey, it, it whatever plays. Uh, this, so this 10x, and it plays into this idea of the 10x programmer, the one who's right. 10 times better than the average developer. Oh, I see. Right, right. right. Okay. And so right. you can you can apply to become one of their clients, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's apparently a fairly rigorous process, but sure. you know, I guess they they command higher rates. Because of uh, you know the kind of people they hire, it's a it's a, a cycle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you know there it is, uh, and any of us could do it if we had the wherewithal to find that business, right? Yeah, because you know, yeah. there's all that work out there, um, and you know it's a tough business. I, I I was doing really well up until like yesterday, <laughs> you know, <laughs> doing great, and then boom, brick wall, and now really? I'm Again? screwed. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. That is so. Uh, yeah, it, it is. A bit, it, it is a bit topsy turvy, and I'll, I'll admit that too, because because you know I sort of came into this with you know deer in the headlights, you know, five years ago, um, trying to get you know really really enamored with the whole idea of being an iOS developer, and and uh, you know, and then for a couple of years it was it was good times, I was making you know what I felt was a comfortable living, and um, you know even though I I'd heard that people were making more money, but I was still happy with what I had. Um, and then you know the wheels kind of fell off as well, right? So, and then then you start have to have to start looking around to other clients, and then you get some you know loser clients who decide not to pay you after three months of work, and that hurts. And and uh, so it's tough to um, to scrape out a living at this at times, right? But yeah, all you hear all time to- all day long is uh, there's tons of jo- opportunities out there for developers. There was uh, I was just going to look it up here on CBC on Spark uh, this weekend. They talked to a guy who. I set up a site called, um, I think it's called Gap Jumpers, and he was talking about how, and, and this is going back to people looking for full-time or part-time contracts, whatever, um, that the um, the way HR works, you know, they have certain filters on your resume, and if your resume doesn't, you know, answer those top three things, it just falls off the, falls into the out bin or the, 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 the reject bin. Um, so this guy has come up with a site where you can, you can basically go through and te- get tested, you know, in your terms of your skills or whatever, without bringing any sort of other parameters into it, your age, your gender, your, you know, location, your proclivities or whatever, whatever it is that turns off hiring managers, right. Or even, uh, your resumes and stuff like that. Right. Cause even, even applying for contracts, I mean, those for me, I don't know, but I think for you as well, Aaron, the majority of my work has come through referrals from other people who know me. 100%. Not through, not through I've done, I've, you know, I just recently had to let an RFP go because they asked for technology that I don't even have the first clue about, right? And I asked around and nobody, all I got was crickets when I asked, right? So I don't even do I RFPs. Just, yeah, I mean, and, you know, and people send me those. And, and again, it's like, you know, we want a really, really skilled ditch digger, but we want to pay you to, to, to make a hole. You know, yeah. Like they don't want the quality that that a proper ditch digger would produce, right? So, but you know, what are the chances that the municipality in this case has already chosen a ditch digger, but because of their bylaws, they have to put out this RFP, yes. and yeah. so they they get the requisite three bids, and then they go with the one that they had in the first place anyway. Well, 
And again, then that's the conspiracy theory about hear about that kind of stuff all the time. But yeah, I'm, I'm anyway, certain so. of it, man. I've I've burned myself <laughs> to the to the ground getting those things done, and um, you know, never never had a successful one. Yeah. So so the the idea behind this was was uh, blind 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 auditions. Yeah, it's called Gup, Gap Jumpers dot me uh if people are interested in looking at that up but uh, yeah it was the whole idea that you know um how we get filtered is you know by preconceived notions i guess or or by you know the description goes into the into the ad or whatever for the job or whatever you're posting for and it's you know it's you think you can ma- you match it and somehow you don't right so it's true oh well so anyway falling back on what we were just talking about a few minutes ago about uh the usb i think it was usb or no, it was about Swift and Objective C, right? Which which reminded me that I did listen to the uh, interview um, uh, on the Daring Fireball talk show. Is that just correct? the talk show? The talk show, yeah. Well, it was posted on the, the found the link on Daring Fireball uh, of uh, John Gruber sitting down for twenty minutes with Craig Reedy talking about Apple Swift open sourcing and where they're going with that. So, did you guys listen? Have a chance to listen to that or read through it? Or I've listened to. Yeah, I haven't read the transcript, but I've listened to about uh, about half of it, I think. I do have one question, though. I don't listen to AF, ATP anymore, but does John Syracuse ever say um or take a breath? He is a very rapid-fire speaker. Wow. Uh, yeah. And no, he does not seem to have any of those verbal tics that those of us <laughs> here possess. Alas. Right. Yeah, he's, he hasn't been well, podcasting for, yeah. I don't know, 10 years? Not 10. Oh, years, really? Five years or something? Six years, maybe? A long wow. time. Yeah. Interesting guy. Anyway, so I, I listened to the Federici thing, and then I listened to Gruber and uh, Syracuse talk about Apple, life, the universe, everything for a bit. I'm looking forward to finishing that. But uh, I've heard I heard much of what uh, Federighi and uh, Gruber talked about, mm-hmm. which is wonderful stuff. I, I mean, it's, I think it's great that Apple is opening up more and making themselves available for these right. sorts of things. Um, yeah, look at Federighi making the rounds. It's great. Yeah, it's wonderful. You know, he's not a top-flight, well-known executive. He's never going to appear in the Wall Street Journal, I wouldn't think. But uh, to those of us, you know, the the developer-sensitive, shall we say, uh, hearing him speak to us basically is is terrific, I think. I love that it happens, and I, I want to see more of it. So, yeah, uh, like Phil Schiller. Senior, Phil Schiller was on. senior senior VP, yeah. right? Is that his title? Uh, uh, something like that. Yeah, I think so. Or, uh, good to engineer. see, you know, someone top. And it uh, again, I only read through it, but you know, hearing him say the say the words dynamic dispatch and talking about C plus plus and bridging and things like that, I was like, oh, this is great, you know. Yeah, hearing exactly. A top technical guy at Apple give that kind of interview. So I sh- maybe I'll listen to it too. Again, I read it and that was kind of enough because I was like, I don't know if I want to hear it, but I'll yeah. uh, I'll probably listen to it. Well, that was some of the commentary that came afterwards. That Gruber was saying that he thought he might just get twenty minutes of PR, and he was actually surprised to get some some actual talk from tech talk from from Frederighi. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cool. That's it on that. Okay, I guess you know, like it's fair to say that we're we're really happy about Swift being open source. So um, yeah, more like this, please. <laughs> and <laughs> cool. <laughs> so have you guys? I know Greg, you looked at it kind of intensively after we because we sort of had you were on our show last time. We sort of said, yeah, it should come out anytime now they're running out of time and tick tock tick tock and and then the next day it came out um and i know you spent some time looking at it that weekend but and, and i mentioned the fact that you got a pull request uh <laughs> approved on your typo <laughs> it was not a typo um that, i think i might have to sue you for is it slander or libel when you say it, it wasn't a typo it's oh. slander when you say it slander thank you very much slander tim uh 
No, it was it a fix to the that? documentation and a fix to the comment, but it was not a typo fix. Not that there's anything wrong with no, fixing typos. Uh, no, I, uh, it's, it's what Jaime said a, actually last week. So it was an incorrect, incorrect comment. Anyway, oh, cool. There we go. Mm. Interesting. So oh, yes, the comment can stay, but the document is the thing that Chris Lattner was saying. Uh, we're probably going to kill that document anyway. Sure. So, but other than that, have you had a chance to look at the code in any sort of deep way? I mean, like yeah, because like, I was still, uh, I still like to write a article on every protocol, and right. that's my that's my kind of ongoing project. And so I've been looking at some of the implementations for that, and I was mm-hmm. also working on something, writing something about optionals, which is why I was stepping through the source and got down to SIL, and I was like, this doesn't make any sense, and I mm-hmm. had to look at the And anyway, I looked everywhere, and that's why. I was like, oh, this comment is incorrect. That's why I don't understand it. And that's why I fixed. <laughs> that was how I got my one fix in there. But uh, right. so yeah, I'm still looking cool. at, I was looking at the implementa- implementation details for optionals. So I'm, that's what I've been looking at lately. Interesting optionals. stuff, because... Optionals. You, know, you look at the code for... Op- because optionals.swift, it's in the standard library, right? It's an enumeration. Yeah. That's kind of, we already mm-hmm. knew that. And you look yep. at the implementation, you're like, all right, you know, there's two cases, it's an associated value, all that's good. But I was like, where is all the magic? If I have the name of an optional exclamation point, it does a force unwrap, where is that? Where's the code for that? Right. That's what I was looking right. for, right? Right. Because yep. even things like nil coalescing, like that's just an operator overload. And again, that's in the Swift source code. But I'm like, where is that? How does the language know when I have a question mark that it should do this? And if I do an exclamation mark, it should do this. That's the part I was looking for. Right, right. So, yep. That led way, it? way down into the bowels of C++ and SIL and SILGEN and all kinds of other scary acronyms. Mm. And um, Anyway, so I was looking at all that, and hopefully I'll write it up soon. You mean Did you Swift find isn't it? written in Swift? I'm sorry? You mean Swift isn't written in Swift? Uh, well, the standard library is written in Swift, but the compiler yeah. is still a C++ part project. Oh, I remember what I was going to say about this Federighi thing. It was the comment about the reason why they still support Objective-C was that a lot of machines are still 32-bit that are still out there in the wild. Did you catch that part of the interview? That's not really what he said, not. is it? Yeah, he, well, he sort of said, well, he said that, that uh, they, they still have to support 32-bit architectures in some cases. So that's why one of the reasons why uh, a lot of the, the standard... A framework, I guess, is the t- proper terminology for that. Is still written in Objective C, or or has to be able to handle Objective C. That kind uh, of stuff. Well, that's yeah. kind of soon on its way out, Cause though. Because right? well, because Swift, like, the, and it was a debate that, that Gruber and uh, Syracuse got into was the fact that if uh, they could, they could make Swift support 32-bit, but why would they if they're trying to, you know, they're trying to get rid of all the older, you know, architectures that are out there, right? So yeah, I mean, on the Mac, they're pretty. I, I guess there are still. Like the original core two duos, I think, will yeah. not support 64-bit. But those are like the very, very first Intel Max, whenever that was, like 10 years ago now. Um, Maybe on yeah, iOS, no, it's not as... I mean, they don't sell 32-bit devices anymore, but I'm sure there's still a lot of them in use, I guess. Yeah, no, I, it's not, and it's not the first generation of MacBooks. It was the one, second or third ones that came afterwards that, that were started to have 64-bit. Because I know from the, the Mac tech side of my life that mm-hmm. there, was, there was sort of a, a hard line... These machines could support, and the newer ones like the Xeon processors and the, the Halens and you know, all that kind of stuff, right? So it could do it, and all of the all of the devices. And we're assuming that the watch and the Apple TV are 64-bit, right? So because that would make would make sense otherwise. Anyway, just just an aside there on the uh, Federighi thing. Sorry, mm. I remember that was a big deal though on iOS because you had to ship a 32-bit bundle and the 64-bit bundle when you yeah. release your apps. I mean, having universal binaries on the Mac was like, well, it's the Mac, we've got plenty of space. But on iOS, you're like, oh, you're doubling your code size. 
And I remember right, that was right. a big deal. And if you ran a 32-bit app on your iOS device and, a, you know, the OS is generally running in 64-bit, there were sort of two versions of the foundation library yeah. that had to be in memory yeah. at the same time. And it was like, oh, you got to yeah. take more memory. you got to load in all those libraries. So they're like, please, everyone move to 64-bit. But I haven't heard much on that lately. Maybe so bit where, code, so where the, not bit code, app thinning maybe took care of that a little bit. But yeah, I haven't heard much about... Hey guys, you know, stop compiling for 32-bit. Use 64 because I don't even think the compiler can compile the 32 anymore. Well, we can't can send in. Know. We can't send in 32-bit as of February of last year or this year. So yeah. we have to, everything has to be 64-bit. So I've had to update all my apps to 64-bit, but yeah, uh, my legacy ones. But um, uh, were there actual 32-bit uh, phones? I guess yeah, the, the only the A7, I think the, the iPhone 5s, I think oh, was the first okay. 64-bit. Um, oh really? A Apple A chip, I think so. Yeah. Oh, uh, and, and I guess that's why I'm is always sort of picking on the iPhone 4, right? So <laughs> the fact that we're I still supporting five, it. I'm pretty sure the iPhone. Oh, I, I'll have to go look it up, but it was around that. Gen- I think the 5s. No, you, the, I think you're right. It, that, that does ring a bell with me, but I just it's been it's been so long since so I forgot about it. But yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, and the 5s was the low-tier phone just whatever it was, two, three months ago, right? So they were still selling 5Ss. Um, yeah. They still just are. A few, just this year. They're still, are they still selling them? Yeah. Yeah. I guess so, because it's the 6S, and then the 6, and then the 5S is the one below it, right? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, all right. So they are still selling it. But anyway, if that's the first 64-bit, then the entire lineup is 64-bit. So they seem to have moved much quicker on iOS to do that transition, which is nice. Whereas on the Mac, they still supporting 32-bit 32-bit apps on the Mac, but I guess mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. they're very big on backwards compatibility, and uh, I think uh, he mentioned it a bit, like ABI stability, and I know a lot of people are talking about it for Swift 3 and whatnot, so Yeah, so I, we'll think, I think a lot of apps are, are, are now um, 64-bit on the Mac, because I remember back in the day like in system preferences or whatever, if you, if you had a 32-bit thing and you wanted to run it, you had to go. Like, I used to run my SQL server on my Mac because I was developing websites. And whenever I wanted to go and use the tools, they were still written in 32-bit. I had to switch back out. And actually, I think some of the Google um, Google Analytics stuff was, uh, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if it's 64-bit now, but up until recently, it, it wasn't able to support... Um, you, could, you couldn't run. You couldn't write a 64-bit app with. It. They must be. They must have fixed that now because I just updated some stuff recently. But yeah, for a while, it would have been like pretty for, slow. You know. Yeah, yeah. Whenever I compile a build an app and it's like try to ship it, it's like oh no, one library is not working. Which yeah. one is it? It's always yeah. it always seems to be Google. <laughs> yes, it's so it's so it's so easy to go delete, you know, and then ship, right? So, been hey, interesting, those are interesting usually my times. ads. I got to make money, right? Yeah, pennies. You're gonna make pennies. If you're lucky. Um, so, uh, yeah, which, so Aaron, you were having some trouble with uh, test flight recently. No? Yes. Still? Yeah. Um, I, I've been using it, uh, extensively with this current client that I'm finishing up with right now, mm-hmm. um, shipping test flight builds on a daily basis. And it is so flaky. It's so mm-hmm. flaky. Mm-hmm. You, you can put a build up there and then you have to wait for it to process, which can take anywhere from five minutes to 24 hours. Right. You just don't know. Um, and then there were, I think, two or three times where the whole process completed, client installs the app from the test flight app, and it crashes on launch. Hmm. And it's not, it's not the app crashing. It's just, or sorry, not crashes on launch, doesn't install. Yeah, that, that's, that's a common thing. I've had that go for days at a time as well. Yeah. Right, like to the point where the only fix is to just post a new build. Really? Hmm. Yeah. So you post a new build, go through the whole process again, and then it works. But there were two yeah, builds that it didn't. Yeah, I've seen I've seen that before where, you know, uh, it's almost indicative of the fact that it's not signed properly because 
I know that when you know we used to when we were back in the old original test flight days, if we'd send out builds and somebody send a link to their buddy or whatever uh, who wasn't on who was who hadn't been um, added to the list of, of approved devices. Um, it would go through the motions of installing and then, and then it would get like, you know, like three quarters away around the dial there. And then it would just, no, can't install. Right. But I had that with actual uh, real test flight cases, you know, a couple of months ago. And I, I hadn't thought that was your particular issue this time, but that seems to be an ongoing thing with them. Right. So maybe they're using that max certificate again. Yeah. I don't know. It's, <laughs> It's kind of messy uh, to the point where, where my client is, you know, and I've explained the issues, right? Like mm-hmm, trying mm-hmm. to at least, you know, make him understand that this isn't my fault. <laughs> um, yeah, that's always a challenge, right? It can be. But, you know, I think he's been properly educated now. And so he, he has a pretty dim opinion of Apple's test flight service. Really? Right now. Oh, yeah. Well, given everything that's happened, right? right. So, yeah. yeah. Not good for Apple. Mm. Well, that said, I was looking, I was working with some Android stuff the other day, and I couldn't even get the stuff to compile, and it was just okay. Thank you, thank you very much for Xcode. At least that part works. Hmm. Better. Are you using the new Android Studio? Yeah, I was just trying out the the Feast uh, um, hmm. on the RW network there, and um, yeah, I couldn't get the, the one of the one of the I think the first tutorial I couldn't get uh, once I went into the what is it the main main dot activity file and tried to put the code in there, it wasn't taking it so. I might maybe after I was just thinking I should download the finished product and do a diff and figure out what I've done wrong, right? So misplaced a carrot or a comma or something, mm. or d- didn't put it in the right place. Do you think it's worthwhile well, to learn how to develop for Android? Um, you know, I, I I don't know if it's necessarily required, but uh, I do get a lot of requests for Android builds of the apps that I do in iOS, the the more successful and the pervasive ones. They, you know, I think the clients kind of sigh at me when I sort of and oh, gee, it'd be really nice if we could be on Android. And I'm like, yeah, it would be really nice if you could do that, right? But have you seen the frickin' environment you're developing? Holy cow, right? Eclipse is a, a, a nightmare. And, um, you know, I, I, have you looked at Android Studio at all, Greg? I have, yeah. Not the most yeah. recent one, but, uh, you know, version back. Yeah, it's a bit hairy. I mean, like, you know, like Xcode gives you, uh, you know, a, a certain amount of feedback when you're building something. But Android Studio gives you, like, like you could get lost in the information to give you back, right? When you're when just running, compiling trying to figure out errors it's just it's so verbose it's it's and you know everything on the screen at once it's just it's really i will say it's a lot better than eclipse was like like night and day but still i am looking forward once i get my once i get my head wrapped around how things work i am looking forward to trying to build some rudimentary apps in um like because you know we have some client client service client services apps where where clients log into our server and they we do a json thing and then they get their data right images and text and stuff like the table views and things like that collection views it would be really nice to be able to serve that to an android device right and and from from our perspective from the api and that kind of stuff it's totally doable it's just how do i get the stuff on the screen right is the challenge right now so that that's i think it's nice that google is kind of taking things under its wing and saying yeah they used to just ship eclipse and say yeah we've got these i don't know they were basically like plugins i think for eclipse and saying there there we go but now they're yeah. saying, you know what, we need to, you know, like Apple has always done this, or not always, but they've done this recently now, where they're saying, you know what, we need to control the development environment. We want our own compiler, we want mm-hmm. the debugger, we want it all integrated into this GUI tool, but you can still do it on the command line if you want to, but we yeah. need to have yeah. it all together, as Apple likes to do, let's control the whole experience. So I think Google is starting to take a page from Apple right. on that and kind of integrating so, so more stuff. App, Android Studio is a Google product? It looks very material design-like, right? So I think it's originally based on the 
JetBrains uh, IntelliJ. Is it JetBrains? IntelliJ. IntelliJ rings a bell, yeah. yeah. I believe it's, yeah. Ma- it, it's based on IntelliJ, but I think Google is like, all right, we're actually going to develop this and mm-hmm, we're going to kind of contribute to it, take, not take it over quite. But anyway, I don't yeah. know the exact relationship, but like you used to be able to, it was difficult to like update the interfaces. Like if you had your mm-hmm. activities or your mm-hmm. fragments or whatever and you needed to move the UI around. I think it was not so good. No, that was not so great in Eclipse. And in Android Studio, it's like, no, let's bring that in line a little bit into the app better. Just like how in Xcode, like Interface Builder used to be a separate app. And then they said, you know what, let's bring it into Xcode. And then they kind of integrated it a little bit better. So I think Google's starting to do that, which, which is nice. But uh, on that note, I, had a, I was going to say, have you looked into uh, React Native from our favorite company, Facebook? You know, I, I, I haven't really. I know, I know that some of the guys on the team... Um, talk about it a lot and and i haven't uh, i think baron was just saying something the other day that he just tried something and was, was all i don't know if he's the, the emote the i don't get the meme thing but he put up the guy with the leaky eyeballs right so mm. i is was that tears of joy i you couldn't really tell from the icon you know so just to answer your question do i think it's you know relevant to at least look at android yeah i think it is I, whether i would try and make a career of it i think i would probably poke my eyes out first you know, yeah. I, I mean, I I have other developers that I that I know of who will who will gladly take on that burden for me. So more power through them. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting solution. I think because you do well, you have to write JavaScript, which is some people like, some people don't like. But it's not like PhoneGap or things like that in the old days, where it's like I'm going to get JS Mobile or jQuery Mobile. And I'm going to write this mobile thing, and it's going to run in a container on five different platforms. React Native is a little bit as the name suggests, native. You're still writing JavaScript, but at least it's going to sort of build native buttons and things like that for you. So it's a little bit, I don't know if it's the solution, but it's closer to the solution of writing something once and then having a native app, spit out a native app for iOS and Android. But yeah. It really feels like you have to uh, go all in on a particular technology. You know, it's Mm -hmm. very difficult to uh, kind of go halfway. So if Mm -hmm. if I'm an iOS developer, I've invested years, literal years, into uh, building this tool set that I have, this skill set. And if I want to develop cross-platform and pick up React Native, I can play with it, you know, for an hour or two at most. You know, I I can't really afford to give it much more time than that because I've got too much other stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So if if I do decide that I'm going to become a cross-platform developer... I'm taking a huge risk to mm-hmm. to deep dive into React Native because there are other technologies, you know. Uh, what's mm-hmm. the Ruby one? Um, Ruby... Ruby Motion? I forget. Motion, I, I thank you. Was, is that what it was? Yes, Ruby Motion. Okay. <laughs> Ruby Motion. Okay. Ding, ding. Yes, yes, give the star to Greg. And so Ruby Motion lets you write in Ruby, not stupid JavaScript, right? Um, mm. And you can create apps for Android and iOS. Right, so why wouldn't I do that? Because I already like Ruby, and <laughs> um, right, right. so I could do that instead. But that again, that's a huge risk too. I mean, they've been around for a while now, but you know, maybe there's going to be some other hotness that comes out, um, and you always worry, right? Like maybe I can't support the latest, most interesting stuff because these are all basically layers on top of iOS and on Android. Yeah. Right, so yeah, I mean, always using on third-party frameworks, a la Mark here, is a risk enough. Saying I'm going to use Alamo Fire AF networking instead of the 
built-in NSURL session. I mean, some people don't even sure. like going that far, but saying, no, I'm not going to write native iOS. I'm going to use this wrapper or this bridge mm-hmm. instead. That just seems a bridge too far. Ha ha ha. It's, yeah, uh, that's it, like yeah. taking it to the next level, I think, of, of risk to rely on a project. Yeah. RubyMotion, is that free open source or is there a company behind that? There is and a company a behind paid it. paid option. Okay. There is a not paid option. Okay. Um, I think, yeah, well, there is to at least get started. I think they changed their model. Let me see here. I'm looking at their site. I'm looking for that pricing page, but I don't see one. How it works features why Ruby Motion. Hmm. So in the, in the meantime, in the meantime, um, Greg, um, I thought when we did, uh, we talked about React Native before, isn't, isn't there, that's the Facebook thing, right? Isn't there some um, shortfalls behind it? Like it's not, I don't know, I don't want to say multi-threading, but isn't there some issues with with how it uh, interfaces with iOS, like when you're building an app. Have you played around with it much? Or? I did a little bit. I, there was a tutor- Somebody wrote a tutorial on it, and yeah. we wanted to have the tutorial out when React Native went out, so I did get early access to the mm-hmm. project because mm-hmm. so I, I did the tech edit for it. But I, mean, right. the, I, I don't remember anything like that because, again, it's just JavaScript that's going to spin up native views for you and do the position. Maybe I'm thinking about async display kit. There were some issues with that, maybe some background threading something or work around stuff that you had to do okay. i mean there might be something like that with yeah. react native i don't i don't know but um it is closer to a i don't know how to say it like a like a bridge or a thin wrapper i think than it is uh-huh. like okay don't, stop learning ios learn this other thing instead it feels a little bit less like that although there's still a little bit so does bit. react native what does it replace does it replace like a ui kit or something like that or 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 does it enhance it somehow or just think you're writing JavaScript and CSS-ish stuff. Like imagine oh, you could say, give me a view and, right. you know, width, col- width equals 100, height equals 200. Sure, yeah. You know, margin left, margin right. Yeah. Almost like you're writing JavaScript. And then or it Android, will spin yeah, up yeah. a UI view with those, with that frame and put it on screen. Oh, for you. right. So right. it is native in the sense that you, you are getting UI views and UI buttons. It's not some other crazy thing. It's how you, how you create the instruction set is different, right? So, Exa- yeah. And then you can just update your JavaScript and then hit Command-R in the simulator, and it reloads, if you can imagine oh. that. Reloads your app <laughs> instantly, which is kind of cool. So it's really good for... I think that's one of the benefits that at least Facebook says about it, is it's just good for fast development, because you don't have to... Right. Oh, no, that's, I need to nudge that to the left. Okay, nudge it to the left, build and run. It's like, no, just, you know... Reload, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. reload my my web kind of thing. Even though it's not web, in case the React Native people are listening and getting angry, getting angry as I talk <laughs> and throwing stuff at their phones. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But again, I don't, I don't know. I feel a little bit strange about not learning the native thing. I know a lot of people have that kind of feeling, right? I, I'm I'm I writing do. native apps. You guys are doing this little whatever well, so, Ruby so, Motion, Phone Gap, this other so stuff. So we, we could I'm go kidding. back six months. We could go back six months, and I'm pretty sure we, we did do this six months ago. We could say the same thing about Swift, right? I mean, like, we knew everybody, I think everybody kind of knows Swift is like the, the way direction Apple's going, but you know, I remember having some feverish or fevered discussions, you know, six months ago, eight months ago, over whether or not one should learn Swift, right? Um, you know, and as the deeper I get into Swift, the more I start to understand it, the, the further away from Objective-C I find myself moving, right? So even though, you know, you still have to deal with that kind of stuff, right? I'm actually teaching three students right now who have never, one of them learned Objective-C, just the language, but the other ones have never even seen it. Real-time feedback. Um, update. Yes, real-time update. So <laughs> RubyMotion is a commercial product, uh, straight up, and they have a starter edition that's free, Mm-hmm. Um, but it has limitations in that you don't get much support and it does not support 
the very latest um, operating system versions. Uh, so um, you're like a little bit behind. Just a, a hair, like iOS okay. 9.1 instead of 9.2. Oh, well, that's, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, not, not OS 10 at all. Whereas the indie version for $200 a year gives you total up-to-date operating system support for Android, iOS, and OS 10, as well as watchOS and tvOS. Then you can pay $500 a year for the professional version. Okay. Which comes with some extra support on top of that. Well, I could see that. I mean, from my perspective, two hundred dollars a year is not a huge leap in terms of if you're if no. you're serious about this, you're making a living at it. Yeah, it's like not you know, it's kind of it's like a, a fairly decent deal, really. It's just enough to keep them keep their their lights on, as it were, right? So yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think about what do you think about the perspective since we're sort of circling around Android here um, about the future of Google adopting Swift and making it possible for us to write Android apps in Swift? Well, it's funny again, how quickly somebody yeah. did something like that. Sorry, go ahead, Aaron. I, well, I, I was just going to say, like, don't get hung up on the language, you know? Like, yeah. I could learn Java if I had to and decided I want to become an Android developer. But yeah. um, it's the frameworks, dummy. Like, that's – you're not the dummy, Tim. You know? <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's all about the frameworks because you can't – that's the hard thing to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and learning the language or, or even bringing Swift over to, to that um, is not going to be the stumbling block. You know, it's going right. to be the usual the problems, or, yeah. yeah, like or whatever, whatever the Android equivalent to that is, and yeah. uh, you know, becoming acclimatized to that environment and that that method of of developing applications, whatever it is, I I have actually no clue, <laughs> no mm-hmm, clue at all. Mm-hmm. So I just don't even know. Um, it's it's a little bit like learning Russian, if you ask me, for an opinion. You know. Uh, Going from that? going, well, I mean, like you know, if I, if I had to learn if I had to learn to read Krillic, I mean, you know what I mean? Like that's it's like that, or trying to learn Klingon, even right? Because it's it's kind of like Objective C, it's kind of like Objective C in code, right? Um, or well, it is Java, like like Greg just said, and I know Java from writing Java and JavaScript as well. I know the syntax, I know how how it works and stuff like that, but. It's um, it's it's actually just a very different environment. I mean, you know how you put buttons on screens and stuff like that. And they've got a fairly decent GUI here that in this new tool in this Android Studio. But from what I can tell, a lot of developers still work in code. Like they like to go in and specifically say the width is this and the height is that and so on and so forth, right? Um, and how you load these mo- and you're right, how you load the modules in and that kind of stuff. It was it wasn't horrendous working in, in Eclipse. It just wasn't comfortable. Right. It was like trying to go to the space station in, you know, in a Soyuz capsule. Hmm. Okay. You know, <laughs> not as cushy as an, as an Apollo capsule. Languages on Android. I mean, people have been asking for something like Go or even Scala mm-hmm. or something else because, you know, it's Java. There's a JVM, supposedly. Maybe they can't. I think they can't call it a JVM, but there's some kind of a JVM running on Android. And then they're like, that's the whole promise of the JVM is to have one virtual machine. But the input to that thing can be any language. So where right. is the support for Again, I don't know, Scala, anything that runs on the JVM, which is like every language in the world. Why can't right. we use any language to write Android apps? It's been so long, and I don't know, I haven't really heard anything about that. And so that's a bit of a mystery to me why there's no, maybe there's some technical, I have no idea. Is there some technical reason why they can't do that? Right? Their Dalvik bytecode coming from Scala. Scala is so close to Java. Why can't they do that? I don't know. Does it mm-hmm. exist? I haven't heard of anything like that. So now that Swift is out, and it's this new hotness and everyone wants to move to that. I, I don't see how that's... I mean, I saw a project that said Hello World. They got Hello World to work <laughs> in Swift on Android. 
Really? But yeah, like it said, oh, we made a port of Swift. I think it was like a tweet or something. It said, we made a port of Swift to Android, but the only yeah. thing that works is print hello world, and that's it. Right, right. But it's like with all of the Android people, well, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but with so many people clamoring for different languages and nothing major has come out of that, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not sure I see. Is, is Swift is Swift that much cooler and has that much more interest behind it that Swift is going to make it to, jo- to uh, Android? That just seems even more unlikely to me, you know? Even a Google Google approved language like Python or Go, those haven't made it over to Android. So what makes you think a third party language from Apple, like Swift, is gonna make it onto there with only community uh-huh. support? I don't know. It just seems so unlikely to me. But again, I don't know the technical underpinnings of Android and Dalvik and their don't call the JVM JVM to know what the problem is, but it just uh, just seems unlikely. Well, there's this thing in here, like I said, I was just looking at the Feast uh, a couple of days ago, and there's a thing called Gradle that they use in here, and I'm not sure what that is. It's like a build system. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Because, yeah, you have a choice of one or the other kind of thing when you're building projects, right? Yeah. I think that's like a, and, it's like a make file, but, you know, make file for the 21st okay. century kind of a thing. Okay. So I do want to hear about the, um, the one and only Apple success, Apple Pay success story that I've heard so far in Canada. <laughs> So I gave up trying Apple Pay after two failures that I had on the very first day. Honestly, I just forgot. You know, I'm going and I'm buying stuff and I'm paying and I just totally forgot about it. And then I was refilling my Presto card. Presto is the Mm -hmm. kind of contact fancy transit card that we have in Toronto that Mm -hmm. is not supported everywhere. But, you know, the downtown subway stations have had it for a long time. And since I live downtown and I, you know, only travel downtown because I'm just that kind of person, I, Mm -hmm. I, I can get away with not carrying tokens around basically. Because we still use tokens here in Toronto, like animals. And um, yeah, so we've got this card. And they've been installing the machines to automatically reload your card before you had to go down to Union Station. But now they're everywhere. So I go up there, put the card, I refill it. And it's got this large NFC brick on the front Mm -hmm. of the thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Usually Mm -hmm. the tap, when you tap your card, it's like this little tiny thing. It's this massive, shiny, black plastic thing. And so when I went to pay, I usually use my Amex there. And I was like, hey, you know, it's got this giant NFC reader. Maybe I'll try it. So pull out the phone, tap it on there, and it just worked. So the angel sang, the clouds parted, you know, the sunlight came down, and it was quite the glorious moment. And I got another $30 on my cart. And, of course, right away, I get the notification on the phone saying, oh, $30 or whatever it was was just charged to your Amex. So wait a minute. You still have to go to a machine like an animal and stand in line to refill your Presto card? Well, there's no line because nobody else, nobody else does. Okay, well, yeah, but there will be a line eventually. But like, because you know, on, on when people get their metro part, metro pass or whatever, there's yeah. a big, huge, giant lineup for it. But you can't, you can't just go online and and top up your. Presto yeah, you pass. can do it online, but it's weird. I don't know what kind of communication systems they have. But if you do it online, there's some scary language like you know, you put in your credit card, whatever. But yeah. it may take up to I forget, maybe it's 24 hours, but it's like it may take up to like five wow. days because. When you add it to your account, then that kind of yeah. adds it in the cloud. But you have yeah. to tap your card. Like, you have to use the card once to yeah. reload it. So if I go yeah. online, I put $30, then up in the Presto cloud, they say they know that I put $30 on the card. But if I go outside right that minute and I tap my card on the thing to use the subway, then that machine that I'm using to pass the turnstile, that doesn't know that I put $30. It's just saying, oh deduct 275 because this guy's getting on the subway and then that night the presto cloud will download to all of the presto terminals hey 
by the way, this guy bought $30 or something like that. You're so then the next me. day when I use it and I tap my card, it'll then register, oh, this guy is still alive, the card is still active, and now the balance is 30 You know what I mean? There's like a, some kind of a delay. That sounds so much more convenient than just putting a token in the machine and walking through the turnstile. <laughs> like an animal. Anyway, <laughs> if you use the machines in the subway and at Union Station to refill your card, then apparently it does all the magic right away. It's not like oh, the right online away. Okay. thing. Oh, I see. Oh, so that's the online thing, the again, it has oh, to go okay. up in the cloud okay, and download it, and it does that every night, and then by the next time you use it, hopefully it'll work, but I don't know. It's, yeah. it's crazy. I don't know if they're just being conservative, and they just say it might take a while because it's possible, but in reality, it doesn't take that long, but yeah, I just always yeah. use the machines. Presto is both miraculous and retarded. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. Because it, it consolidates yeah. about six or seven transit systems uh, in the gta and in surrounding towns you can use it in hamilton and you can use it yeah. in clarington and everywhere in between mm-hmm. um in all their transit and systems. ottawa and ottawa too yep yeah i, I thought it was that. i thought it was a go train um what are those guys called who run the go trains um i thought that Metrolinx. was their service metrolinks i thought it was a metrolinks thing and 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 that if you were a metrolinks customer you could ride this ttc with it i didn't realize that you could you could be like greg like a person who hangs around the Eaton Center all day long and rides the subway. Well, turns out there's more to it than we know. But, um, you know, I thought it was just a, a miracle that all these transit systems yeah. work together and that you could use this single card to go through all of them. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, like you, you have some very peculiar limitations to deal with when you try to add money to your card. The, really, the, like you get a brand new card from Presto and uh, it, it does not work until you take it into a, a station, hand it uh-huh. to somebody, or do what Greg did and put it in a machine. Um, mm-hmm. Because uh, it's just, I don't even understand it. It's madness. madness. <laughs> well, it's always tricky. Where are you going to store the value, right? Are you going to store the value on the card or do you store it in the cloud? That's always the, that's the security oh, I guess question. So. Right? Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. if you have a mobile reader on the bus, how does the bus know the check? You know, Is there some kind of checksum? There's some magic. Anyway, it, it gets all complicated, but I don't know. Well, cause, cause, cause it's cause like the, we're the first city in the world to do this. Other people, it's a solved problem. So I don't no, see I know. I, so, so, I was going to anyway. say, in the 90s, I went to New York City and they had this little card but it had a magnetic strip reader on it or a magnetic uh, re- uh, strip on it so yeah. you were loading up that physical card with like you know with your, your starbucks card you were loading it up right right like that um, actually stores on that magnetic strip yeah. the metro card it actually says on the card this is twenty dollars so the readers don't have to be network attached because they just read right. what's in theory you could get a card reader yourself and reprogramming and put like you know five hundred dollars on there or you lose it you lose the card and you, lo- you lose the two dollars and 75 cents or whatever it's on it right so mm. yeah yeah, no, and that, but that was back and back a while ago. But it, yeah, they, and they that still was, have it know, there. Yeah, I know. And and in New York, I mean, you can just imagine the the infrastructure that's there because they they have like you know lines and buses, and they have the the train system that runs out to New Rochelle and all that kind of stuff as well, right? So yeah, similar. But to I mean, what, like, that's the problem train. they're running into as well. Is they're like, no, we should have like a contact card. But again, mm-hmm. you have to do the infrastructure. How are you going to store the value? And uh, that means every terminal on every single of their million buses has to have like a network connection and get the latest data every night like how do you it's a, i mean i realize it's a tough problem but if it's just toronto and surrounding areas it's i don't know it's just like just put the money on there i'm gonna tap it and let me get it. i don't know just, but i mean and that's sort of the thing like like maybe maybe uh maybe something like apple pay uh holds that promise because it's it's it, i mean it doesn't have your your information stored on it it's basically just a transaction but i guess it still has to go to the cloud and check with 
whoever runs the the cloud checks to see whether you have the money to pay for whatever it is you're paying for, right? Yeah. Because like, mean, when you coming. did the Apple Pay thing, it does go to Amex at some point, right? To and sends back a token. I think somebody yeah. I saw did did a talk on that at 360. I think, right? Yeah. It's coming. I know the Presto readers here in Toronto are the version two ones. So someday they will support our uh, NFC credit cards. So someday I'll hold my phone up to that thing and can write oh, this okay. up. okay. Good to know. Yep. Yeah. Well, because, because, and they're on the streetcars now too, because I, I tend to do both streetcar and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, so now Aaron can, Aaron, do you take the go train? I guess you do, right? Yeah. Occasionally. So yeah. Well, so Aaron's been know. using it for like years now, I'm sure. Because Presto? Can you even yeah, buy yeah, it? Yeah, I've been using Presto for probably a couple years. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah cool. I haven't bought a ticket in ages. So let's go around the table like we usually do and see if anybody oh has God, any picks. Like and Aaron, do you have a pick? No, I do not. And Greg, do you have a pick? I certainly do. Okay. Well, let's paste it in. You can always count on the guest to be prepared. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I did my homework. I have a pick. I don't know what you <laughs> slackers have been doing all day, but there we go. I should be it sleeping. Is, uh, if you've subscribed to the Swift Evolution mailing list or the other one about the core frameworks i think it's called core dev i've forgotten anyway there's a bunch of mailing lists there is a ton of volume on there if you get the emails one at a time then i feel sorry for you if you don't have filtering if you subscribe to the mm-hmm. digests that helps a little bit but then you have to scroll through a massive email i don't know it's mm-hmm. not so nice i do it but there's not really any good alternative yet and plus come on you mailing have, list no 21st yet. century yeah. you got to use like a four anyway if you are swamped by even the volume of the digest then this fine gentleman, Jesse Squires, who works at Instagram, I believe, has been collecting sort of a little digest. It's not a curated public, curated, published publication. It's just on mm-hmm. his website. But every week, I think he's only been doing it for two weeks now, on Thursdays, he kind of gets the highlights of what's been discussed. And he will just post links to the... Because you can link to a particular mail. Yeah. They're using Piper Mail, I think. And you can link to a particular discussion. So he says, mm-hmm. hey, they were discussing item X. And there's a link to it. And he posted, I can't remember, maybe 10 to 15 things. Mm-hmm. And so that is my pick. You don't want to subscribe to the lists, but you still want to kind of keep up to date. You can just look at the GitHub page and look at the latest proposals, I guess. But, I mean, proposals are only come about once they've been discussed near to death already. So if you want to get some advance notice and you don't want to read all of the email, then I definitely check out uh, Jesse's blog. And he's going to be posting something every Thursday, he says. So check that out. Cool. All right. Well, guess what? I don't have a pick. Oh, um, my goodness. My pick is Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. Nothing but Star Wars. Oh, All I ever do is think about the Bill Murray song, and it gets in my head. Okay. Yeah, I think that's about it. Um, so, Aaron, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where can they go? Go to Twitter, at Aaron Vey, or check out my website, innovative.com, I-N-N-O-V-E-G-H-T-I-V-E.com. Uh, there you'll find that I'm actually looking for work again. Um, again. again. Did you so update your slash to... now page, Aaron? I will be doing that shortly because I am not, as of this moment, um, out of work, but I will be very shortly. So Gotta get that uh, iron in the fire. Yes, yes. By the time this thing airs, I will have updated my now page for certain. Oh, it's a month behind, Aaron. It says as of November 17th. Shame. Well, Shame that, on you. That, ac- that information is still accurate. So that's that's fine. What's there today um, is still true, but uh, I only update it when it changes, and that will be happening very soon. So if you're looking for a remote iOS developer, check me out. Cool. And so, um, Greg, if people want to find you on interwebs, where would they look? 
after going to Aaron's Twitter and Aaron's website, they should do the same for me. I'm Greg Heo on Twitter, and my website is also gregheo.com. Check it out. I do not have a now page, though, unfortunately, but maybe I'll get one. Maybe I'll get get one. Yeah, I know. Maybe I'll get one by the time Tim edits this and posts it, and then I will have something there. (laughs) And I'm going to put a little script so it says as of, and it's just going to always print in the current date, you know? Oh, that's cool. Because you know why? You know how? Because I know PHP. I can do such things. So maybe I'll do that. You are so leet, Greg. You're so leet. That's right. All right, and my name is Simitra. I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter and my website, it-guy.com. And I have an out page. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. I guess we'll uh, wrap it up, and we'll see you guys next week. Uh, it's number 70s in the books. Good night. Good Bye. night. Hey, if you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. Hey, if you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website. And if you could also write a review on iTunes, that would be amazing. And if you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button now. I'll wait. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. The podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. And if you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thank you so much for listening. Love you guys. Hang on a second. Cheese and rice. Yeah, like uh, there's a tweet in my timeline. Somebody saying something about Force Awakens. I'm not gonna block no, this lady. No, I'm blocking her. Hey, stop. First thing I got to comment. I'm gonna sit there. Oh my! And Listen then to this person typing. It's it's retweeted by Ars Technica. Retweeted oh by God. Ars Technica. Oh now my I have God. to block Ars Technica. Oh my God! <sighs> I'm just so upset right now. You could put you could put your phone on Do Not Disturb too. This isn't. This is just my Twitter stream. I can't not read my Twitter stream. This is exactly the kind of crap I'm talking about. The nerve of some people, eh? Shut Writer and staff up. editor at Ars Technica. Shut the front door. For God's sakes, unacceptable. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm. Um, you know what? And you thought I was passionate about Star Wars. <laughs> just. You know, people have to be decent on the internet. They just they have do. to be decent, they and they're to not right now. Aaron Vay's space. They do for sure. Okay. Look, and, and, you know, in retrospect, this may not seem like a big thing that she tweeted here just now. But, yeah. you know, it's... I, I don't want to... Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. What? Say it. Say it. It's just... It's just... It's poor. Badly done. Badly done, Tiffany. Badly done. Bad, bad girl. Bad girl. Bad. I'm, I'm just really upset right now. No, I get that. I get really that. Upset. Okay. We got, we got a so, we got fun so, this moment, Tim. We have to move on. Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just it's just you and me and Greg today, right? So, Is it? Yeah. I sent you a text or I sent you a, a message via Twitter earlier saying that we could have started earlier if you wanted because you're, it's usually your, your sleep. When did you do that? Uh, uh, no, 7.30, no 7.15. Greg replied. I, what, email? No, uh, through Twitter. Twitter machine. No. 
Really? I got nothing. You got nothing. Well, let me get Greg. I got nothing. All right. I hear you. I believe you. I believe you. Thousands wouldn't. Hmm. But, I but I'm looking at my stream, and I've got no, I got messages from you. Yeah. Like maybe I sent it there. Maybe sent it there. Here in Hillgas. I don't know. Let me just hang on. Let me find, let me find Greg. 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 I'm pretty sure. Greg. 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 Yeah, because you would have got one from Greg too. No. Yes. 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 You would well, have. I didn't though. Like, go and look at your tweet. And see if it's me that you sent it to. I know, eh? <laughs> Greg, yo. Yo. How's it going? Yo. How's it going? Yeah, Aaron Vay right. and Greg Hio And Greg replied, I can talk as early as eight. I already know what this is about. It's probably, Aaron, what Twitter client are you using? Oh, really? <gasps> of course you're using. I'm using two, uh, only for multiple person direct messages. It was a direct message for multiple people. Yeah. And yes. I have no such capability. Those do not work in Tweetbot. Oh, so all these time that all this time that I've been sending messages to all four podcast hosts, Aaron's not been getting any of those. I guess not. Apparently. I've never done it with you before. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. There it Greg, is. Well, so Greg, so you're not using Tweetbot, or I use Tweetbot, but I have the official Twitter app installed because there are little features like that that don't work. I see. Yeah, because because Jaime always uh, replies back to me, so. You must have wondered, why do I have no opinion on Subject X? <laughs> on pretty much um, anything. I just, yeah. I just thought you were just like, you know, you're just that way. You're just standoffish, you know? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I am a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. 
ACAST.com.